Welcome to the Gospel Center Prayer Life Podcast. In this episode, we're going to share a story of a young lady that was being coerced to abort and how God used our team to help her choose life. We're going to share some principles that will encourage you, so stay tuned. I felt your passion, touched your heart. Use me, Lord, use me, Lord. Welcome to the Gospel Centered Pro Life Podcast. In this episode, we're going to do much of what we had done in a previous episode and we had talked about doing in some following episodes, which are dealing with hard cases. And doing that with case studies, with actual experiences that we've had at the abortion center, actual women that we've ministered to, babies that we've seen saved and babies that we've unfortunately seen lost, and just sharing our experiences to equip you guys. That's the intention here is to equip you guys, to help you guys learn from our mistakes, maybe learn from some of the things we did right. And in this story that we're going to be sharing, this case study, we're going to be talking about dealing with a teen who was coerced to abort. Right. And that is a very common situation. It is. So we're going to talk through sharing the story, kind of how things played out from our perspective. And then, as in our previous uh, podcast about Kara and that high-risk situation or that hard case, um, we're going to share some principles that had to do with the the story. So um, with that, let's, let's jump into it. This is a great story. This is one of my favorite stories yeah. of uh, my experiences out on out on the sidewalk. So we'll call this young lady Marissa. Yeah. Yeah. And just keep in mind, guys, as we're going through these hard cases and we're sharing the name of the mom or anyone else's name, names are changed in these stories to protect the identity right. of the person involved. That's right. Yeah. So uh, Marissa's going to be her name in this uh, right. particular um, one. But, right. Yeah. But, so Marissa shows up. At, at the abortion center, pulls up in a car laughing with uh, two teenage friends. She's clearly young. They're all young. You can tell they're all clearly under 18, probably in the 16-year range, a boy and a girl, and then Marissa. And they're all laughing and joking. This is all one big funny thing to them, which yeah. is always a little hard for us sidewalk counselors sure. to watch. They rolled down their window for me, though. They did stop. And um, my impression, of course, is immediately they just think this is all a walk in the park. This is all just a big joke to them. So the moment that I indicated that I was there to help for a choice for life, the young man who was driving the father of the baby is ready to zoom away. Yeah. But Marissa, who at that point, I don't know her name. And and I didn't know that she was the one having the abortion. She's in the back seat. And the, while she's giggling, she reaches for my literature and, and takes it, thanks me. And they're, they're all just laughing. And, you know, I just want to shake them. I just sure. want to, like, say, wake up. This is serious. What you're in here to do is so serious. And But, but instead of doing that, I kindly and listed all of the ways that we could help them, urge them to go on the mobile ultrasound unit, which is parked on the curb yeah. so that th- that they would be able to go and see their baby. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of the scene as I see it as they yeah. arrive. Yeah. And this first principle that we want to touch on, and as you're listening through this podcast, maybe you're driving down the road or whatever, you can't do this. 
But as you're listening through, maybe you're at home and you're able to take notes, write down some of these principles, because these are principles that we learned in the midst of these situations that we keep in memory and that we employ in the uh, the following stories that we encounter and all of that. Yeah. Like you learn from these situations and the principles that are drawn out of these situations. And if you don't have a pen and you are driving down the road, we will post this this yeah. article along with the pod- the link to the podcast, and we also post it at sidewalksforlife.com. Yeah, absolutely. So the first first principle is don't let first impressions deter you from offering truth and help. These That's folks true. showed up, mm-hmm. and they were laughing, and they were giggling, mm-hmm. and you can have a tendency. I know I would have a tendency just to write them off, mm-hmm. saying it'd be like throwing pearls to swine if right. I gave them literature. Yep. But that's not always the case. Sometimes people use laughter and giggling and acting goofy as a mechanism to cast off some of the guilt that they're feeling, some of the the weight of conviction that they're feeling. If you think about it in your life, I know for me, I'll do that. You know, yeah. when people make me angry, sometimes I'll just laugh it off. I'll be laughing and really inside I'm, I'm angry, you know, right. yeah. and that can be the case with these moms. So don't let these first impressions, how they come across initially, deter you from doing what you're there to do, to offer help and hope and the truth of the gospel. Yeah, really, no matter what we face, our response should always be the same. Are we glorifying God? Are we offering gospel-centered help and tangible help? And we should do that in a way that is pleasing to God yeah. and making fun of them, shaking them, even though you feel like it or or being angry or just ignoring them completely or would not honor or promote the purposes of our pro-life ministry. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so they, they park in the abortion center lot, and Marissa and her friend went into the abortion center. We're continuing to call out, as we always do, offers of help, truth about God. Meanwhile, the, the young man parks in his car. I believe what he did was he went around the corner of the parking lot, so he can't see us. He hope he's trying not to hear us. He wants nothing to do with us, and he stayed in the car. And then a few minutes later, Marissa and her friend come out of the abortion center, and they're still laughing and joking, but at, at which at that point they start walking towards me, and I'm I'm wondering if they're plants or yeah. you know uh, what do you call like those? a mole? Yeah, like coming yeah. in from the pro-abortion exactly. people trying to get in and figure out what our operation is yeah, all about. Yeah, because they were just so not serious, but they're they're coming coming towards me. And they, she said that she wanted to go on the RV to see her baby. And so yeah. they, they do. They, yeah. they come aboard the RV. Yeah. And the second principle in this is kind of like the first principle. Mm-hmm. Don't let the first impressions deter you. Like Even if they are a pro-abortion mole to come and infiltrate the operation on the mobile ultrasound unit, still nothing changes. Like, we don't need to change. Right. So treat everyone as though they're abortion vulnerable. And I mean, that's so important yeah. because they we, they they will lie all I mean I I don't not all the time but they they do. The people yeah. coming to an abortion center are sure. consumed with guilt. So they will lie. And if you buy the lies and you don't treat them as though they're abortion vulnerable, you may lose the opportunity to plant seeds that later on are going to bear fruit. Yeah. And you think about it. It kind of your concern was like, okay, so they're coming out of the abortion center, they're laughing they're, I mean, from all appearances, they don't really want the help that's available available on the mobile unit. Right. Why just are they come, coming on? Then? Yeah, it's like why yeah. are they coming? 
And let's say they were. I mean, we've suspected this with a few women that yeah. have come on the mobile ultrasound unit that have offered or that we've offered help to is that they might be pro-abortion moles trying to right. figure out the operation and how they can, I don't know, use our words to, quote, expose us or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But the more I've like thought about that concern and the more we've talked about that concern, it's like, well, would would they really even be able to expose anything? I mean, they'll discover we're really nice people who yeah. are offering a lot of real health. Yeah, they'll discover that the stuff that we're actually offering, we actually carry through with. And so, may it let it be right. uh, a mole. And so, maybe this is kind of like a sub principle. Yeah, is don't worry about infiltration from pro abortion people as long as you're consistent and you got nothing to hide. Like, you know, I mean, I'm thinking yeah. even like it's kind of a personal scenario if somebody. If, if the FBI busted up in my house and started, did like a thorough search of my house. Right. I mean, they'd be probably, they'd probably fall asleep because they'd be so bored at what they found. Like <laughs> they wouldn't find anything. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. If you're not guilty, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> exactly. So if we're not lying to these women and right. we're not manipulating and we're not offering things that we don't actually carry through with. Right. Then we would have a concern. But since we are consistent, since we're Christians. Yeah. There's no concern there. Anyway, the principle is treat everyone as though they're av- abortion vulnerable when you encounter them at the abortion center and just carry on with the ministry that God has called you to. Right, right. A little sort of side story, but it was funny. Happened today where one of the pro-abortion people was videotaping. She was like tipping open our uh, blessing bag that we have on the sidewalk, videotaping the contents. And we're like, why? Why uh-huh. are you doing this? You're going to discover that we actually give sort of nice things <laughs> yeah. to them in the blessing bag. So anyway, yeah, d- don't uh, don't worry about that, basically. Just yeah. do your job. Do yeah. what, what God has called you to do. So um, so she's, she comes on the RV, and I did what I always do, still wondering. She might be a mole. She certainly doesn't seem like she's taking this whole thing very seriously, but... Um, but I, I found out the situation. I asked a bunch of questions. I found out she was 16 years old. She was being urged by her guardian, who was her grandmother, yeah. to have the abortion. And her boyfriend and friend were obviously also counseling abortion. But she said she wanted to see the baby first. And when she said that, there was a change. Like I could tell, that was a sincere statement. She wanted to see this baby first. Yeah. So I listed, as we always do, I listed the many resources that we could provide. I talked about God, asked her if she knew God. She claimed she did, but she was clearly not following God's commands, which is usually the case. You know, if they're following God's commands, they're not going to be at an abortion center. Yeah. But um, I asked her if I could share some truths about God. And she immediately said yes. But the friend didn't want anything to do with that. And the friend said, I got to go, and goes tearing off of the RV. She doesn't want to hear truths about God. But surprisingly, Marissa did stay and listened and told us that she was being forced by her grandmother, but she knew, which is why she was laughing all the time, she knew although her friends didn't know, that because she was 16 and underage, therefore she would not be able to get the abortion without her grandmother's written permission, or I think the grandmother would actually have to be there and sign the legal guardian. And so Marissa knew that no no abortion was going to happen yeah. to, uh, that day. Her friends didn't know that, though. I, I shared the gospel 
asked Marissa um, if if she wanted to follow God, and she said she did. So following sharing the gospel, she actually wanted to commit her life to Jesus and did so right right then and there yeah, on, on the RV, which happens actually not infrequently, yeah. especially oftentimes with younger people who have, they've come to the, the end of the rope. They, they, they know they're in a bad place and they yeah. know they need, they need help. So as, at that point, there's a banging on the RV door. And the boyfriend is screaming. He's furious. He now has discovered, oh, she went on the RV. He yeah, figured out okay. she had left the abortion center. So he's screaming at her, come out and do what you, we came here to do. Come out and abort. And we actually locked him out. Marissa was shouting, leave us alone. She 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 said she's not going to abort and she's not coming out. And at that point... I assure Marissa that I will drive her home. Okay. And a fellow counselor who hears me say that, I don't know if she would, I think the fellow counselor was on the RV at the time. And she said, well, you're not going to go alone. I think she was shadowing me. So she's okay. watching what I do. She said, I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah. I'll, I'll drive home from home with you. And so we, we bring the, the ultrasound nurse brings Marissa back to see her baby. This just further solidifies her choice for life. She, yeah. she loved the baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next principle in this is exactly what you did and yeah. uh, what's an important thing for you to do. And this requires listening, but it's develop a relationship and try to understand the dynamics of the reason why the mother is there at the abortion center. Right. So you yeah. have to listen. Yeah. And that's the thing that many of these women are not used to, someone that actually listens and cares. Yeah. You're supposed to be listening, and that yeah. helps you build a relationship, and you can build a relationship with these moms and ultimately uh, earn their trust right. by letting them know you care. Yeah. And, of course, he- hearing at what the, the, the things that are actually going on in her life, the stuff she's struggling with, the pressure, the coercion that's coming from the people that she trusts, yeah. her guardian, her grandmother, the boyfriend, who she's obviously, at least in some way, intimately involved, right? right? Yeah. Um, those people have really betrayed her trust. You want to try to earn her trust yeah. by building that relationship. And of course, um, in this situation, one of the, the touch points, one of the basis of that relationship is really the gospel. It was. You sharing the gospel. It was. It. She knew that was something that she needed. It often is. Even when they say, I don't want to hear about God, oftentimes they will come back, circle back to God if 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 you pray to God to open that door. But in terms of trust and the betrayal, you wouldn't believe what happens next. I mean, really, the betrayal of the people who were supposed to protect her was so devastating and not only in what had happened that day. So the, um, but I, after the ultrasound, I, I, we, she did not want to get back in that boyfriend's car. I yeah. didn't, I didn't want her to either. Absolutely. We, I don't know if that was wise or not. We've got this angry boyfriend. Um, who's literally banging on the outside banging of the, on the, the door. RV. Exactly. So obviously a bit, He's got an anger issue and possibly violent, but I was not going to send her home with with this angry boyfriend in the car, the angry boyfriend. 
So I hurried her to my car with my fellow counselor and the boyfriend spotted us and he got, he was coming around the corner. So he's out of his car. So as we jump in my car, he's running to his car. <laughs> I, I know now the chase is on. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, I, I I take off as fast as I can and just turned a lot of corners, quick corners in to, to lose him. And then we waited and we knew that, that we had indeed lost him. We saw him go by actually. Yeah. So we knew and he's going a thousand miles an hour and didn't see us. So I had Marissa uh, take me to her home by circuitous route. So in case he caught up with us that he would he would never find us. And um, it did occur to me as I'm driving, I hope I'm not doing something stupid. Uh-huh. And as it turns out, I probably was, but, yeah, um, it, but it, it got more time. stupid as, <laughs> as, as the story progresses. But all that it is in my head is this is a desperate teen who needs our help. Yeah. And I am determined to help her. Yeah. I mean, she obviously didn't want to abort. Right. She was obviously being coerced. Which is illegal. Which is illegal, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, so you're helping her to uh, to protect that baby and to do the thing that she wants to do, which is That's keep right. that baby. That's right. So we reach her home. And as we pull in, it's kind of a really sketchy apartment, probably kind of a project. And there is a whole lineup of angry looking young men and the grandmother with their arms crossed oh, wow. <laughs> as we're pulling into the driveway and, and Marissa and they're kind of blocking my car. And then they start to walk towards my car. And Marissa said, I can't, I can't, I cannot kill this baby. And I, I can't get out of the car. And I, and so I just slammed the car into reverse and we, take off. They came storming, running, running after us. But, you know, of course, I'm in a car. So yeah. uh, I take off. And I am driving down the interstate now, having no idea what to do. And I had the counselor with me start to make some calls to look for a safe house. Yeah. Just call, call our network, find a safe place where I can bring this poor young teen. And as God would have it, God is amazing. God always has his plan worked out. There was a family that had been praying specifically that an abortion-minded teen would be brought to their home for safety. And one of the people that we called told us about this family. Yeah, And so that's our plan. We, the counselor sitting next to me is making the calls and making the arrangements, and we're going to bring Marissa to this family. Then I get a call on the telephone, on my phone, and I answer it. It's, it's the police. And they said, uh, is this Vicky so-and-so? Yes, that's, that's me. Um, are you harboring a teen? They asked me. And I said, well, <laughs> uh, that's not what I was thinking I was doing, but yeah. I do have a young woman in the car with me who is being coerced by her grandmother to abort, and she does not want an abortion. We do have a safe house, um, and that's where I was going to bring her. 
And the police suggested that instead I bring the teen to the police station and they yeah. would they would uh, take care of it. So once we get there, they take both me and my counselor friend's driver's license and tells us that we would probably not be charged with kidnapping a minor, which entailed jail time. Yeah, you were you were. We were sweating it out yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. What I want to know, before we share the principle that has to go with this, how in the world did they get your phone number? Because that's a mystery. Well, I had given the information. I had given the pamphlet. That's a very good question, and it never even occurred to me. I had given the pamphlet to the girl in the back seat. She left it there when she went into the abortion center. Okay. So, and on that pamphlet is my name and phone number. Okay. So that's how they figured out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the principle that goes along with this part of the story, and this is an important <laughs> one, guys, is have a clear understanding of the law. Um, because if you don't have a clear understanding of the law, and e- even now, it's still some of the, I guess, understanding and nuances of the law as it concerns harboring a teen are still not clear, but at least having a clear understanding of what you're doing, what you're getting yourself into, I think this is this is probably a principle that we should have known at this point. This is kind of one of the mistakes that we have learned from and right. how to handle these situations yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Um, so that when you're when you are talking to the police, you can kind of give them an understanding of the perspective that you're coming from, what you understand the law to be. And then, um, even with the teen and, and considering giving her ride home and all of that, and understanding what you're getting yourself into or potentially getting yourself into. Right. Now, again, this is a life and death situation. Yeah. And this is very clearly not coercion on your part. This is coercion on the part of the grandmother. Right. And the fact that you were able to go to the police station and help kind of, because coercion is illegal, right? Yeah. Driving a teen from point A to point B is not necessarily illegal if they've asked you to and all of that. Right. Right. Now, if you were, Intentionally keeping them away from their family, you, you know, took them to your house and locked them in your house or something like that. That'd be a different story, but that's not what you were doing. All the things that you were doing, even when you left her house, that was all at her at her word, at her right. request, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so, just understanding the law, having a clear understanding of these things before you get into these things, is very helpful. And you know, just in general, when you've got a minor in the situation, that does become a fairly complicated situation. It does, because, you know, in retrospect, what would I have done? What could I have done differently? I don't know that I would not have offered the ride, because I think you start calling police with a young, scared teen with a dysfunctional family, which clearly it was, they might just bolt, and that might be the last you're going to hear from them. Yeah. Um, but when I was actually driving, I probably should have just immediately thought I need to bring her to the police. Yeah. So she didn't want that. Uh, she didn't want to get DSS involved, but ultimately DSS was involved. So that is actually what happened is the police promised me that DSS would be called. And actually Marissa wanted that more than being returned to the grandmother Yeah, because she, she wanted that baby. She knew that she couldn't kill the baby and she knew if she goes home to granny, granny's going to insist she kill the baby. So I thought I was leaving Marissa safe and sound at at the police. She was going to call me to get the help that we could offer the baby shower, whatever. DSS was getting involved and she would be safe that night. The police assured me she would be safe that night. Yeah. Well, the next morning I'm on the abortion center sidewalk again 
and I get a call again from Marissa, and she is sobbing. The police had returned her to a grandmother the night before. Uh, I, I don't know why. I don't remember why, if they tried to call DSS or what happened, but she was returned to her grandmother. In the morning, her grandmother woke her up early in the morning. Marissa had diabetes, I believe, some some terrible disease where she had to have regular medication. Yeah. Her grandmother woke her up, did not give her her medication, um, takes the groggy Marissa, throws her in the car or tells her to get in the car. I'm, she said she's taken her to a doctor appointment and convinced her it was a doctor appointment to see the baby. But as they're driving, Marissa quickly begins to discern they're on the same route back to the abortion center. And she knows what her grandmother is doing now. The grandmother has figured out she has to go with Marissa to sign the papers, and she's going to make sure Marissa has, has the abortion. So when Marissa realizes this, as the car slows to a stop at partway on the way to the abortion center, slowing for a stoplight or whatever. While the car's still moving, Marissa jumps out of the car, rolls down an embankment, and runs to the nearest hiding place, which was a Lowe's department store, and was hiding in one of the aisles where she called me. Wow. So this time, I knew, okay, I'm not going to go rush to the rescue I need to call the police. So I, I told her, you know, this is abduc- abduction and coercion, clear, clearly yeah, breaking the absolutely. law of the grandmother. So I said, call the police, stay hiding, call the police, and then call me back. Tell the police we have a safe house for you, and then I want you to call me back. So um, so the police pick her up. They bring her to the station. They contact the grandmother, and the grandmother said, keep her. I don't want her. Wow. And... um uh. The police then called me instead of calling DSS, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. They called called me and said, we understand you have a safe house. Um, and this girl is traumatized. She, she needs a place. W- would you be willing to come and get her? The grandmother is willing to sign over temporary. It wasn't custody. I can't remember what it was called, but just the temporary rights to bring her child to the safe house. And so the grandmother was there. Um, signed Marissa over to me, and uh, we, we with the police. I went with the police and Marissa to the grandmother's house, where she got the essential things she would she would need, and uh, we drive her to the safe house. And that family actually had agreed to as long as it took, but we all thought it was going to be just a few weeks because I had already lined up or or our counselors, I can't remember if it was me specifically or the network of people helping me had lined up a maternity home that takes teens and could keep her till age 21, which really solved all the problems. But um, but because of her residency, there, there it took months and yeah. the safe family had to find So she was say, in a different state than the right, family and that, also in the maternity home. That's correct. Yeah. And so it complicated things. The paperwork was taking months. She was literally with that safe family for months. And finally it was just too much. The safe family had agreed to weeks and here yeah. it's going on months. So, um, at, at that point she actually was moved into a maternity home in her home state. And, um, and that was where we temporarily lost touch with her. Yeah. And so the principle here is, um, as best we make plans and we should make plans and arrange things. And like we talked about in our last podcast about this, utilizing team members and getting people to, you know, make appointments and, 
and set things up and you did that. But uh, plans can go awry sometimes. So the principle is take one logical God-given step with the goal of keeping the baby safe, one step right. at a That's time. Right. Make yeah. make plans and yeah. and connect with maternity homes and find a safe home, house like you did. Yeah. But just be ready, be flexible. That sometimes plans don't work out like we hoped that they would. Sometimes the even issues can arise with like the maternity home and them not being able to transfer her over from state to state. Right? There's complications. Listen, the enemy is going to get in wherever he can yeah, with the goal of getting that young lady back to the abortion center, getting her trusting in abortion rather than trusting in the Lord. Right. So just be flexible. Be ready to change plans. Be ready to um, operate on the fly sometimes. Yeah. And uh, and the Lord will give you grace in those situations. He for will. Sure. And another principle, we talked about this with our other case study, but I think it, it bears repeating. It's such an important one is to use team members. I, I certainly could not have even begun to have done what what did transpire all on my own. There there was a whole network of people behind the scenes working and helping and making calls. Even the counselor that came with me that kept me calm. The whole team was called into play and was really um really important for for us to uh to work together as a team. So Marissa actually didn't totally lose lose touch. She did stay in touch. She had my name and number. We knew that she was happy at at that maternity home and she actually had a beautiful baby who she loved deeply. Love life at the time it wasn't love life yet. So Cities for Life, I believe with the help of Truth and Mercy Ministries, which is a a um, baby shower ministry through Cheryl Chandler, uh, threw her a, a wonderful baby shower for her baby, yeah. and um, the story really became one of redemption. That grandmother turns out that she had dementia, which was worsening and worsening and worsening. And I guess they didn't know it at the time, yeah. but. That was what all that craziness was, in part, was mental illness. And Marissa actually returned to the grandmother's home and ended up taking care of the grandmother. And so there was a a full kind of circle of redemption that came about. And the grandmother was at the baby shower, and she was so in love with that little baby, the baby that she had so desperately wanted to kill. So it just showed that um, the power of God yeah. to to redeem anything, including Marissa, really could have been very rightfully furious with that grandmother, but turned around and showed the love of God yeah. and took care of that grandmother. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, listen, guys, you're going to hear this throughout all of these hard case stories, all of these case studies, because we're a gospel-centered ministry, unapologetically. Right. We're there to bring the gospel and bring yeah. help and hope. Yeah. Yeah. But this this last principle is the most important principle mm-hmm. to remember in all of these hard cases, mm-hmm. nothing is impossible with God. Right. We have to lean on the Lord. Yeah. We can make connections and we can come up with plans and, and schemes and ideas and try to navigate through things, and, and God gives us wisdom. God gives us mental capacity to be, be able to figure some of these problems out and navigate through some of these things. Um, but ultimately, we've got to trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. We've got to stay 
uh, as the Bible says in John chapter 15, attached to the true vine. Jesus has wisdom that we ain't got, right? He's got the ability to see behind the scenes and to work these situations through that we don't have. We don't have that ability, but he does. And so just for, for the Lord, I mean, this is just prime evidence that the Lord is yeah. faithful, that he's good, yeah. and that nothing is impossible with him. Whereas you shared just before, this grandmother wanted that child dead, so much so that she tricked her granddaughter to get into the car so she could drive her to the abortion center and further pressure her to have the abortion that yeah. she obviously didn't want. And yet God can take that situation and turn it right side up, so yep. much so that that grandmother is at the baby shower delighting in her great-grandchild. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing it how God can do that. But God can. And so, guys, I want to encourage y'all, trust in the Lord. We can never get, as you know, pro-life ministers, um, we can never get into this mentality that we've got it figured out, that mm-hmm. these practical principles, and we shared some practical principles, can somehow supersede the wisdom of God. They cannot. Right. Practical principles, preparation, training, and all of that stuff, that, all that stuff can be great. But if that stuff excludes God, mm-hmm. then that stuff is going to leave you deficient in a major way. Amen. And so we need the Lord. That's why I always encourage with our local volunteers, with our sidewalk missionaries around the country, around the world, stay in prayer, stay in the Word, and stay in church. These are some of the means that God has given us to stay in close fellowship with Him so that we can stay, as John 15 again says, attached to the true vine, because we need what God has, wisdom, grace, um, ability, all of these things that we need God has. And so that's our encouragement to you guys. Yeah. And I hope this story was a blessing and encouragement to you guys. Hope you learned uh, from some of our mistakes, and I hope you'll continue to learn as we share some of these case studies with you guys. Again, if you, as we've often shared, and we always will in these podcasts, share our contact info. If you have questions about this story, or if you have subjects you'd like for us to cover, you can reach out to me, Daniel, at lovelife.org. You can reach out to her, Vicki, at lovelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Our website that we post these articles on is www.sidewalks4life.com, sidewalks the number four, life.com. You can look under equipping articles, and that's where we share the articles that kind of are the framework for these podcasts, and you'll see a bunch of them there. Those are to equip you to be effective on the sidewalk. And so again, you can reach out to us. Please leave a review on the podcast. Please uh, share it with other people. And until next time. God bless. Give me an outlet for love. Give me an outlet for gratitude. I know it will cost me my life. But nothing's too precious since I met you.